you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You ever go through life and find out that some things are not exactly what they seem? You thought one thing, and for some reason, it turned out to be completely different. How many of you, when you first got married, you thought, man, this is going to be perfect? We're in love. There's nothing that could go wrong. Ain't nothing stopping us now, right? That's many of us, right? We get married with that in mind. Like, this is, this is going to go perfect. They're, they're, how could we go wrong? And some of you, within the first week, realized it's not so easy. Some of you, it took a little bit longer. You had a longer, if you will, honeymoon experience. And some of us, when it comes to different things in our lives, we, we see what we think it is, and then what we don't see is what it turns out to be later on. I dare say that a lot of things going on today are exactly like that. A lot of the things that we see in media, a lot of the things that we see in this nation, we're looking at it through a certain lens because media is telling us, here's what you need to focus on. But I would argue that Scripture tells us to look at it a different way. And one of the ways that it does is to look at it through the lens of spiritual war. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes that most people are aware of. This morning we're going to look at two things specifically. Number one, understand the battle, which is verses 1 through 5, the first part. And number two, which is important for all of us as believers, those of us that are disciples of Christ, is to wage war, verses 5 through 6. So number one, understand the battle, verses 1 through 6. Well, verse 5, five first part. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, Paul here is dealing with a Corinthian church that has a lot of division. In fact, there's a tolerance of sexual sins that's going on and a lack of commitment by many of these believers. What he mentions earlier, if you look at the previous chapter, is that they had committed to giving to the poor saints in Jerusalem and neglected to do so. In fact, one of the things we talked about, and actually we talked about a little bit in our discipleship group this last week with the guys, uh, we tend to have an enthusiasm sometimes, right, when we commit to certain things for God. Like, I'm going to do this. God's convicted me on this. I'm going to go ahead and do it, right? And then as time goes on, for some reason that enthusiasm kind of goes away, right? How many of you have ever experienced that? Maybe I'm the only one. Like, I'm going to get into the Word tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes, and you're not excited and thrilled to do that, and you forgot. You see, here's the thing that's difficult, is many of us, when we look at Scripture, we look at it through the lens of what we see. And what we tend to forget is the fact that there's a spiritual realm behind this whole thing. Believe me, believer, you and I are not aware of the times that demonic forces are behind the scenes working to thwart what we want to do and ultimately what God is doing in our lives. What ends up happening for many of us, and we don't pay attention to this enough, 
is just like the church of Corinth, we find ourselves in divisions with people, contention, frustration. And you know what tends to happen for most of us is we look at it and go, they're the one at fault. How many of you have ever found yourself in an argument with somebody, whether it's in the church or any other context, and you find yourself to be the one that's always right? And you tend to go, hey, you know what? I'm not going to admit it. They're not right. I'm right. God's on my side on this debate. When reality, believer, I don't know if you notice this, but God wants you to work those things out if you're a believer in Christ. Why? Because there are spiritual forces behind the scenes that are working to cause that contention. In fact, one of the things that most people don't pay attention to, Scripture talks about this a lot, is there are people that sow discord among the brethren. It's very, very dangerous. And you and I need to look beyond the person that's causing that and realize there's a spiritual war going on behind the scenes. Paul here, what he says here is, it's interesting, he says, many of the, many of the leaders accused him of not being so bold in person because he was writing letters to them. In fact, what's interesting is they asked Paul what a lot of leaders in churches get asked. Who gave you the authority to tell us what to do? Like, who gave you the authority to tell us how we need to practice in this church? Um, I think Paul has a very simple statement, the Lord. I mean, I'm the apostle of Jesus Christ. God's called me to this. You know, the other apostles have confirmed this. But Paul here is, is constantly being berated by certain people in that church for his position. For us today, God's word is rarely read, but people pretend they're experts. And they look up the author that agrees with their position and then present that argument. I've seen this happen multiple times throughout the years. And one of the hardest things for me in the position I'm in is to talk to people that I know haven't been in the word of God and they want to confront me about the word of God. It's very, very difficult. It's very difficult as a leader, and, and Paul goes through this experience continually with this church. They're constantly bucking everything he wants to say or do. In fact, the church later on historically folds due to not repenting in certain areas. Paul just wants to let them know, hey, look, some of you think I'm only tough in my letters, and I'm just being full of myself by walking in the flesh. That's actually the argument that's mentioned here. But realize that I will be just as bold if I have to confront you in person later on. Some of us, just as these members, are afraid to address problems in the church or with leadership. And the reason we're afraid to do so is because we're afraid of the certain blowback sometimes that is involved in that. So I just want to kind of give you some practical here. On a practical note, some of us can put our thoughts together probably better on paper than in person. How many of you are like that? You're like, look, before I actually talk to that person, I need to write this down. This is not going to go well. It's not going to go well if I don't write it down first. And that's, part, that's absolutely appropriate. I think what, what happens to many, and, and I've, I've mentioned this to a few of you in the church before, in most relationships, in most marriages, you have those that want to resolve it right away when there's a conflict, and those that want to wait, okay? Most of the time, that's how it works, okay? And the one that wants to resolve it right away does not want to wait for the one that wants to resolve it later. And the one that wants to re resolve it later many times wants to wait infinitely, before they finally get to properly resolve it, which then creates a dilemma for all of us, right? We have to find a happy medium there. What, what happens in the church, and this happens more frequently than we'd like to admit, is a lot of conflicts are not dealt with right away. And we want to make sure we properly respond to those conflicts, but what we tend to do is wait too long, and then it grows into a big mountain. It grows into a big mountain. And it's a lot harder to deal with later on. You see, what Paul here 
is saying, hey, look, Matthew 18 is a valid point that I think all of us agree with, right? We need to go directly to the person. In a group setting, it's a little difficult, right? Like, you're not going to just come in and then, all right, let me, let me go ahead and tell all of you what you're doing wrong at one time. Because it would just literally, it would literally be a dangerous situation right off the bat for the person attempting to do so, right? So in this case, Paul writes a letter. He sends a messenger to them. He sends, you know, one of the pastors there to go, hey, deliver this letter to the churches, particularly the church of Corinth, and have them actually read this before the congregation. It's not that Paul's afraid to confront them. It's that Paul wanted to make sure he was clear and wanted to communicate to them. And if you find yourself needing to confront a whole church, a letter is appropriate, okay? A letter is appropriate in that, in, that, in that way. If you have a person that's not talking to you or hasn't connected with you, you go to them directly. You see how that's different? If you're going, hey, you know, the church, they, they, they don't care for me, and it seems to be a church-wide problem, write something to the leadership. Look, we, we're not, I'm not looking for those letters, but if you have to, go ahead. You know, at the end of the day, what's, what's worse is when people don't address those things and they don't confront those things directly. And what ends up happening is we have a bigger problem than what would have originally been, been in the beginning if we took care of it right away, or at least a short time after. I mean, for most of you, you probably know Pastor Rizzo used to preach this all the time, and I agree with him entirely, is certain things when somebody rough, you know, ruffles your feathers, don't respond right away. Take some time to let the, the emotion bleed out before he responds. Um, it's something I really appreciate that he taught me throughout the years here. Um, let me also give you another practical suggestion. If you believe certain individuals in the church, like I said, don't like to acknowledge you, speak to you, care about you, go directly to them. You don't have to wait for anybody else. Okay? You don't have to wait to talk to the pastor to let them know that so-and-so hasn't connected with you. Go to them directly. Uh, we're all adults. We should be able to handle these conversations. Sadly, I don't know why a lot of churches still don't know how to deal with these things. And it's a tension that goes on in, in multiple churches throughout the nation. Be prepared to have leadership if you confront the church as a whole. Be, afraid, be prepared to, for leadership to defend the body of believers if the accusation is not on point. Partially or fully inaccurate. Look, I'll tell you right now, God's called me to be the pastor of the church. There are certain things we do well. There's some things we do poorly. If you're going to argue that we're doing some things that we do well poorly, I'm going I'm to push back on that. If you're going to point out certain things that we do poorly and I totally see the same thing, then I will agree with you, and we're going to see if we can resolve those things. But what I find difficult sometimes is that people don't want to address specifically. People want to address generically. People are not loving. Okay, what do you mean by that? People don't care. Okay, let me list you the ways we have cared. We, we have to be careful, folks, because what Paul deals with here is what happens throughout all churches. When somebody wants to confront certain things in the church, they are not specific. And then when they are specific, people go, who gave you the right to tell me that? And that's what the church keeps doing with Paul here. For, 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 for one thing, we are not a perfect church. I'll be the first to admit that as a pastor. We have a lot to work on. I believe there are a lot of things that God wants us to change. But when an accusation is made that goes against what the, the church is doing then I'm going to address it directly. And I'm going to confront it directly. Gently and lovingly, but I will confront it. If there's something that needs to be confronted, by God's grace, we are going to do what we can to change those things. God's called me to be a shepherd. I'm not 
to go out and lash out at people that disagree with certain things or don't like the things that are done in the church. Paul tells the Corinthians here in verse 3, look at what he says, we walk in the flesh. We live in an actual body. But we don't war in the flesh. Let, let, let me tell you right now, believer, one of the things that most of us don't pay attention enough to is the fact that the conflict that we have many times is spiritual and we think it's always physical. We jump to, I need to be nicer first, instead of realizing there's a spiritual battle going on. In fact, we as believers are to use the Word of God as our warfare, not the strategy or schemes of the world. What do I mean by that? Just make sure I clear this up. We don't use manipulation, okay? When there are things going on in this conflict that arises between the believers in Corinth and the Apostle Paul, Paul's like, look, I'm not using the tactics of the world to get you to do what God wants. In fact, we don't deceive others into selling out to God. We let God deal with you and not some psychological tricks to get you to obey. We don't use the world's methods. We don't manipulate others into liking Christ or thinking more highly of us. That's the world's method. We let God work in a person's heart to draw them to Christ. Believer, I'm not here to manipulate you into becoming a better follower of Jesus Christ. I'm here to ask you, if he is your Lord and Savior, why aren't you following him? Why isn't he a higher priority in your life? That's what his word says, not me. We don't use intimidation, okay? A lot of the world uses intimidation. We don't tell others they need to fear us. The only one that anyone should have any fear for is God himself. As scripture itself says, we should fear him and not man. I think it's very apropos with what we see in culture right now. It's a lot of intimidation tactics being used. I'm not going to be a part of this gathering because you voted for this person. Folks, we don't use that. Believers don't use that. Intimidation is not a godly strategy. In fact, uh, Dostoevsky made this statement. He says, whoever has experienced the power and the unrestrained ability to humiliate another human being automatically, another human, human being automatically loses his own sensations. Tyranny is a habit. It has its own organic life. It develops finally into a disease. The habit can kill and coarsen the very best man or woman to the level of a beast. Blood and power intoxicate. The return of the human dignity, repentance and regeneration becomes almost impossible. Look, folks, these are not strategies that a believer uses when they're dealing with conflict. We don't also just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's not the way to deal with things in our lives. We all face different problems, right? In fact, in this life, all of us deal with times of depression, discouragement, lack of money, social pressures, poor health, family troubles, guilt and shame from our past, you name it. Or things I probably didn't even list. The way we fight these things is not simply by saying, I'll do better. 
gets to get to the Word of God and do it the way He says. I don't know how many times I have, I've had to say this, but I really feel like I'm a broken record on this. If you don't remember anything else I say in any sermon, remember Pastor Roman always said this. You need to get into the Word. You need to get into the Word. Literally, most of the problems we have in this country when it comes to believers is because they have a lack of the knowledge of the Word of God. Most Christians aren't living the Bible because the Bible's not in them. The Word has no influence in their life. Their music they listen to more frequently. Their movies they watch at a much higher rate than the Word of God addresses things in their life. All those things are fine to do, but what happens is when we, we start thinking the way the world does, we can't live the Christian life. Don't be impressed, believer, by others that wield the sword of the Spirit well without realizing that God calls you to be in the Word yourself and know it that well. You see, some of us, we're impressed with the theologians that know so much about Scripture that we've decided, I'm going to neglect my part and I'll just go with what they say. Let me give you something practical that I think sometimes is missed in good teachers and preachers of the Word. They can't fight your battle for you. They may exposit the text well, but you know what they can't do tomorrow? Fight the spiritual war for you. You have to fight that battle. The sword itself is still effective and sharp. The problem, believer, is that you haven't been training yourself with it. And that's why you don't know how to fight the spiritual war. Look at the end of verse 4 through verse 5. Look at what he says here. Pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen, believer, you need to break down the arguments of the world by understanding what's behind those arguments, a spiritual world that most people are not aware of. Strongholds literally means a place of strength, a fortress where spiritual wickedness abounds behind the scenes. You need to understand, believer, there are places in your life and society that are fortified places of spiritual wickedness that have a hold on you and those around you. As Elizabeth Elliot once said, spiritual strongholds begin with the thought. One thought becomes a consideration. Consideration develops into an attitude, which leads then to an action. Action repeated becomes a habit, and a habit establishes a power base for the enemy. That is a stronghold. You see, the sexual sins that are tolerated in our society which God actually exposes in His Word, can very well be a stronghold in your life. And if you're trying to fight them by just thinking they'll go away, blaming something or someone in your past, reading everything but God's Word to help you fix the problem that's in you, you're going to fail miserably. You're going to fail miserably. You need God's Word, which is powerful, to save and to keep you guarded. You see, God's Word is not just there for you to read here once in a while. Hopefully you get a little inspiration. God's Word is there to be a sword because it's called the sword of spirit. 
The materialism of this world that you think, hey, you're going to eventually overcome when you make a little more money, when you finally get that one more item that you want to get. You know, for some of us, it might be the iPhone, right? You know, we like the iPhone every year. Well, just let me get this one more thing, and I'll, and I'll, I'll follow what God's Word says, right? Then I'll do what God wants me to do. Let me strongly urge you to read God's Word and see what He says what you should do with your life. Fight the urge to think that you need to somehow be able to overcome materialism and you don't really need God telling you how to do it. You see, most of us, we're we're not exactly waking up in the morning and realizing how materialistic we are. But yet we can't go without certain things, right? Like that phone, I have to go see what's going on. Like I have to. And sadly for us, one of the problems that I think many of us face when it comes to these problems is that we look at ourselves and go, you know what, everybody struggles with this, so why do I need to worry about it? Everybody's like this in America. And if we're not careful, believer, we tend to take God's word not so seriously. We don't think the warnings really apply to us, right? Like when it comes to money, it's only rich people that have millions that have a problem with this, right? It's only those that are very well off or those that, are, you know, that haven't really worked that hard, so they're really the problem. That's their problem. The Bible applies to them. See, you have to understand, as Scripture tells you clearly all the time, it's about eternity. It's not about the here and now. And I know I've reminded you of this before. God already owns it. He already knows exactly what's in your bank account. He knows what I possess. Uh, none of that is something we can like hide away and go, oh, you don't know. He knows everything about us. Everything. God's word is the only solution to the stronghold of materialism, believer. When you literally can say with Paul, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content, that's when you've understood that. And I dare say most of us, especially this year, it's revealed we're not really content in whatever state we're in, right? I think 2020 has revealed that very clearly to most believers, if we're to be honest. Arguments. The next word that Paul uses here. The idea here are speculations versus clear revelation of Scripture. The amount of time many of us spend on speculations rather than the clear revelation of Scripture is astounding. It's astounding. The irony is that there's a book of revelation, but we're all about speculation, right? I think this is what's going to happen. I think this is what's really going on. Many Christians are more influenced by worldly philosophies, false religions, and psychology than they are by the Word of God. I want to pause for a second and address something. One surefire way, believer, parents, to get your children not to believe the Word of God is to allow plenty of access to garbage theology, philosophy, without countering any of that with the Word of God itself. 
Listen, believer, you're not going to be able to isolate your children in a bubble where they never get exposed to things that are false and horrible for them. But if you're not doing your due diligence to counter what they're getting exposed to, then you are literally paving the path for them to deny the Word of God is important. If you tolerate the sins of society by not countering them with the Word of God, you're telling them that what God says is not important. Media does matter. Let me tell you, believer, there's a lot of things in our culture that shifted a lot in the last decade only because of media's push on things. And if you think I'm being wrong on this, I can give you study after study of how they started populating a lot of the results in our internet searches and everything else to push certain propaganda on people. There are certain sins accepted in society simply because social media kept pushing it out in their face and parents didn't stand against it. Do you believe that Christianity dealt with things the same way back then as we do now? Do you believe that believers back then allowed their children to just get exposed to everything like we do now? I know we're in a different technological age now. I get it. I really do. But I think a lot of us are too foolish sometimes in what we allow in our home that we don't ever counter. If your children think that they really can't tell people that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then you have not presented them the gospel clearly, believer. Look, it's not loving to have your children and my children go throughout the world and say, well, you know what, I don't know. If we were supposed to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If someone shares or confronts you with God's word and you don't want to hear it when it speaks to what you yourself are guilty of, I want you to understand, parents, your children are watching. Your children are watching how you respond to what somebody confronts you of. And maybe it's a false accusation that that people throw out there. But I would argue that sometimes people are on point, but we have a little too much self-pride and self-preservation that we want to keep intact. What I find fascinating really is that we don't pay attention. We don't pay attention to the different areas that we are literally hurting our children as parents. And when I stop and think through the different ways that I've really communicated certain truths to my children this last week, I go, man, I didn't give them a godly worldview at all. I gave them a, I gave them a Fox News Central worldview. Even though I can't stand Fox anyways, but leave that alone. Um, The last part that Paul deals with here is very interesting. It says, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The idea here is an attitude or heart condition of a person that believes their way of thinking is superior to God's. Here's the danger, believer. When you and I think we know what's best for our life, the world looks at you and says, you need to follow your heart, right? In fact, it's like in our songs all the time, right? Listen to your heart. Isn't that cute? It'll lead you to the road to to hell faster than anything else you know. The danger is when we take the word of God and twist it to say what we want it to say. 
Almost like what Satan did, right, when he tempted Jesus. It's very dangerous when we read our strong opinion and dig in the Bible to make sure it's backed up. Don't tell me you've never done it, believer. Had a take on something, and you're like, all right, let me go find a Bible verse that backs up the fact that I think this is biblical. Very dangerous. Believer, you need to understand your heart wants to exalt itself daily. You want to be the one that's worshipped. And you need to admit that. It yearns for you to reject God and put itself in place. Replace what God wants with what makes you happy. That's a lot of Christendom today. We want what makes us happy, not what makes us holy. We want what we want, not what God wants. In fact, Paul goes through that in Romans chapter 1. And and just so you know, believer, the best commentator and the commentary, if you will, of the Word of God is always the Bible itself. When you cross-reference a text, which we're going to do really quick, we're just going to read through it, I'm not going to comment on it. I just want you to hear what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians, he addresses in Romans chapter 1, and the refusal to literally acknowledge God. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, we're just going to read this really quick. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged a natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to, to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. 
I think if the Word of God does not convict you when you read things like that, then you miss many times how you want to follow your heart. Because there are so many things in our culture, if, if, if culture understood that they've rejected God and He's already sent us on a spiral, and we're not getting out of that mess on our own, we need a rescuer, we need a savior. This nation needs Christ. It doesn't need more social programs, as helpful as they may be. You see, people know what God says and refuse to submit to it. That's what the text in Romans says. Even those that don't know Christ, they know because God put a conscience in them that convicts them of certain things. But back in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Number two, believer, it's not enough to know all these areas that are going on that you need to be aware of and fight back on. You need to wage war. You need to wage war. Look at the last part of verse 5 to 6. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Listen, believer, you and I can't just know what the problem areas are, the strongholds, the arguments, the things that exalt against the knowledge of God. We need to wage war, and that war is to be waged in our mind. It starts in our mind. As one author put it, it is not a case of a Christian's effort to force all his thoughts to be pleasing to Christ. Rather, the picture seems to be that of a military operation in enemy territory that seeks to thwart every single hostile plan of battle so that there will be universal allegiance to Christ. Every single lie we believe and live out starts in our mind. You need to bring every thought into captivity. That means we need to become obedient to the Word of God rather than the lies that we're told. What are some of the ways that we make sure that we're waging war correctly? Well, first of all, you need to make sure that you're in truth. God's Word is truth. That's the standard to everything that you live out as a believer. Everything outside of God's Word. Let me make sure I make myself clear. Everything outside of God's Word be it your favorite author, your favorite philosopher, musician, preacher, is flawed. The only way you can be sure you're obedient to Christ is to know what He has said, not what you think He meant. Or not what you heard someone say. You need to check everything against Scripture. And as a side note, I know some of, some, some, some of the folks in, in our culture tend to find new interpretations of Scripture. Let me tell you right now, if the church has not preached what that interpretation is for the time that it's been in existence, for 2,000 years approximately, it's probably a false doctrine. Just give me that heads up right now. When modern preachers tell you that God is love, and love is love, so that means that we can live any way we want, you need to understand, believe that they're abusing his word. They're abusing God's word. What's another way that we fight back? 
Well, another way we fight back is prayer. One of the primary areas of protection is prayer when it comes to obeying God's Word. In fact, Jesus himself cried out to the Father before the cross, stating, not my will, but thine. Be careful to try to do war with sin without the Word or prayer. They're both important. You see, here's the reason why a lot of us, we tend to find ourselves stronger on one or the other at times in our walk with God. Some weeks we pray more frequently and read less. Some weeks we read more frequently and pray less. Sometimes we have a good balance, meaning we actually do take the effort in both and make sure that we're disciplining ourselves. But what tends to happen is when we find one to be the only important thing to us, it is only part of the equation. Because here's the thing, you know, when you pray, I don't know if you realize this, believer, but the Holy Spirit's directing those prayers to God. And sometimes you don't even know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit comes alongside. He's praying on your behalf. That's one of the reasons why prayers that we pray that are selfish prayers are normally because we're not in the Word of God. And if we do get into the Word of God, it may be one of those moments where we're angry about something and we want to find a verse of Scripture like an imprecatory psalm that we want to feel good about ourselves with. You need to be very careful, believer. Sinful, self-centered prayer that only cares to puff itself up is not going to be a prayer that God answers to where you're going to have success in fighting the spiritual battle. Last part here, as far as making sure that we wage war correctly, is we have to have correct application. I can't stress this enough. Every church preaches application, but goodness, man, the application is so all over the place sometimes. Correct application is important in the way that we wage war. Most people, at least to themselves, try to justify their, their application of Scripture and what God would want from them. It goes kind of like this, right? I was nice to them today because I didn't want to tell them they were wrong like I did the other day. See, I'm, 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 I'm better as a person, so I'm doing what God wants. Well, maybe God still wants you to tell them the truth, but maybe not in the same manner that you did the other day. You see, some of us, I think, I think this has happened to many of us. I know it's happened to me. I've noticed this. Um, I used to be a lot more bold about confronting certain people and certain things. And as time goes on, you know, Roman, you're too direct, you're too like this. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. And then what ends up happening is you go to the other extreme. Like, now I'm not even going to say anything because I really don't want to come across too aggressive. We need to have a proper balance biblically, believer. Some of you know you have certain people you need to confront on certain things and you never do it. Because you're like, well, I don't want to damage anything. Well, is that what God wants or is that what you're just afraid of doing? And some of you just need to keep your mouth shut and not say anything because you've been talking too much. And that's what you need to pay attention to Scripture. And not be a man of many words all the time. You see, sometimes it comes out with, I don't know why others think I need to be careful around this person. I've been a Christian longer than they have. What, they, what right do they have to tell me that I shouldn't do this? I know many a believer, many a believer, who's thought this way and damaged their walk with God. Well, nobody needs to tell me that I shouldn't spend time with these people. 
I know, I know they don't go to church. I know they're not really, you know, the best influence, but I know well enough by now. What part of bad company corrupts good morals have you missed? Like, what part of the Bible have you missed on that? There are plenty of passages that tell you not to be friends with an angry person either. I don't know why so many people are. You realize there's a lot in the Bible that tells you directly what you should and shouldn't do, and many of us miss it completely? Paul was asking for the church here to take a stand against false teaching in the church. And once they did, he'd come in and make sure that he took care of those that were left. That's what he means by punish. He didn't mean like he was going to come in with an actual stick and beat them or something. Okay? He's going to come in and, and deal with those that are left. He's going to talk to them directly and point out the flaws here in their, their teaching. Unless the church as a whole, not each and every person necessarily, but as a whole, the large majority stands against false teaching or unbiblical practices, the church cannot stand consistently in truth. So in conclusion, believer, simple question. Are you in the fight? Are you in the fight? What are you fighting for? Is it your personal goals, dreams, aspirations, or things of the kingdom? Here's another question to ask yourself. I don't know if you've thought about this this last week. Who are you actually fighting against? I know the media wants to tell us who we're fighting against, right? Very clear what the media wants. What's God's view? What's God's view? Do you realize there's more to the person or group of people that disagree with you? Do you realize there's a spiritual war going on behind the scenes? Do you pray as often for people that oppose you as you do criticize them? There are certain things we should fight for as citizens of this country. But let's just make sure that there's more to the fight than just a mere man or woman that stands opposed to us. We're in a spiritual battle that needs to be fought with spiritual warfare, not with the flesh. couple questions and we'll finish this morning. Have you prayed more than you've worried this past week? Have your family and friends seen that you care more for the spiritual than mere physical? Parents, have our children realized that God is sovereign and we love the fact that we know that's true? Or do they see us just freaking out over this election? Take the opportunity presented to step away from everything that's going on in this world right now and take time with God alone and pray. And as a parent, open the word with your kids. Talk to them about who God is and what he's done. Just as remember we talked about in Deuteronomy, that you just, at any moment of the day, you bring up the things of God. Whether you're sitting, standing, you're laying down, you're about to go to bed, that God's word just flows throughout your day. Look, believer, I don't know, some of you may have already given up this year. You may have given up. And I just want to encourage you, but my encouragement is going to be a little more direct. 
get up and wage war. Get in the word until the word gets in you and then you can fight the battle. And make sure that you remember to ask God for strength and pray. Let's close.